Welcome to Paper Boys, the podcast where we unravel the research papers behind the latest major headlines in science. Every Thursday, we go to the source of the story to open up the work behind beautiful new discoveries and cut through misinformation in the media. I'm your host, James, and today I'm bringing in a paper about mysterious microwave weapons. Mysterious. I am your other host, Charlie, and I have not read this paper, so I'm going to be asking a ton of questions. So we're both PhD students who read lots of papers for our own research. So this podcast is our way of sharing our love for science with anyone who wants to learn more about the discoveries that affect us all. Thanks for joining, and we are the Paper Boys. All right. Well, we have a great show. First off, huge thanks to Damn It Eugene on SoundCloud for that intro song. Really gets us pumped up for the show. I uh, hope you guys like it too. Absolutely. I love that intro every time I hear it. But I have a great paper today. There have been some interesting headlines in the news lately, specifically from U.S. embassies abroad. Oh, I've been hearing about this. Weird sonic weapons or something that are making people sick, right? Yeah. So there have been some weird cases at U.S. embassies in Cuba and in China where embassy workers have talked about being attacked. Attacked. Attacked, but not conventionally attacked. Not like stabbed. No, yeah, no stabbings, okay. no blunt trauma. But instead, just in the normal course of their daily lives, they've suddenly been overtaken by these weird phenomena ranging from headaches to nausea to hearing sounds that weren't there. Wow, that's spooky. Yeah, so this weird attack at a distance. When did they start noticing this stuff? So this started in 2017. And so recently, several different news outlets have come out with some reports after there have been some subsequent investigations. So the New York Times came out with an article recently saying, microwave weapons are prime suspect in ills of U.S. embassy workers. Microwave weapons? Yeah. That sounds very scary. Yeah, your bowl of Kraft macaroni and cheese just boiling in the microwave. Yeah, I would never put my head in there. Yeah. Um, similarly, Yahoo has one. Scientists say neuroweapons are behind Cuba attacks. Washington Post, sort of pivoting, says scientists and doctors zap theory that microwave weapon injured Cuba diplomats. Mm, some good theory zapping going on. Theory zapping, yeah, in the microwave. But um, you can see already from the headlines that there's mystery... They're not totally sure what's up. And even between the headlines, there's some conflicting reports. Okay. So is it safe to say there's not really a popular consensus on what's actually happening to the embassy workers? Yeah, currently that is the case. And so there have actually been some Senate hearings and consultations with interviews from embassy workers. There have been about, I think, 23 embassy workers who've been interviewed who suffered from these attacks. Okay. 23 is also the number of people who have really suffered from these, or is it greater than that? I don't know the exact number. It's at least 23, 21 of whom actually had subsequent medical evaluations. Gotcha. And showed signs that were similar to the symptoms you would get from like uh, blunt trauma to your head, like a concussion playing football or something like that. Wow. However, none of them actually suffered that. Wow. Yeah. So it's a sort of concerning event. No kidding. With a lot of mystery. This happened both in Cuba and China, both countries with communist ties. So politically, there's a lot of aura around this that's... yeah. Countries that maybe aren't the biggest fans of the U.S. Yep. And uh, apparently countries where little factions who may have disagreements with the current ruling governments may be acting alone to influence local politics. Out of curiosity, are there any other nations, embassies in these countries that are experiencing similar things? 
Not that I've heard of. So like the United Kingdom embassy in Cuba is not also reporting these sicknesses? I'm not 100% sure. I would have to look into that. Okay. But it's a good question. So there are some ideas as to what the cause of the weapons might be. Recently, a group of doctors published a study attributing this to an unknown energy source. This was their conclusion after different studies and different evaluations from the embassy workers. But the reason I bring this into Paper Boys today is because there's some interesting phenomenon behind these microwave weapons at a distance that actually account for a lot of the symptoms. And so when I dug into some of the original research papers, there are some interesting findings that I think people would enjoy to hear. Have the recent papers focusing on the embassy incidents called out these old research papers you're talking about? Or is this your own kind of sleuthing to say, this is what I think it is? A little bit of both. There was a lot of foundational research on this in the 60s, particularly from a researcher named Alan Fry. In the 1960s, he was a biologist and a researcher at General Electric's Advanced Electronics Center at Cornell University when someone from a nearby university essentially called him up and said, hey, I'm doing these microwave experiments and I'm hearing something, sort of a zip-zip buzzing hissing sound. Wow. And so Mr. Fry went to the other university, saw his colleague, and he too heard the sounds, which surprised him. Did they have to stand in the way of these microwave devices, or was it just they're standing in lab and generally they're kind of getting these senses of noises? Yeah, so they were actually testing radar signals. So for those of you who are not familiar, radar uses microwave frequencies. Oh, really? Actually, the microwave ovens that we have today are a result of microwave technology. Someone had a candy bar in his pocket when he was developing a radar (laughs) and found that when he was really close to it, it began to melt. Wow, that's crazy. I I didn't know that radar used microwaves and vice versa. Yeah. When you're talking about microwave, what that really means is that it's a specific frequency in the electromagnetic spectrum. Yeah, that's a great question. So we're talking about electromagnetic waves, the same waves as light, but at a lower frequency. Light and radio and anything like that. Yeah, exactly. As opposed to something like a sound wave, where a sound wave is actually an energy wave traveling through a medium. So through air molecules, pressure waves. Yeah. So for example, FM radio is 100 megahertz. So that's a million times a second. What frequency is microwave? Microwaves generally considered to go from about 300 megahertz, so 300 million cycles per second, up to three gigahertz. Oh, wow. And um, slightly above that, basically. Big range. Big range. So things that work at microwave levels, cell phones are one, microwave ovens. Yeah, I think microwave ovens are around three gigahertz, right? Exactly. Same as your cordless phone and same as a lot of your Wi-Fi signals. Good to know. So back in the 1960s, Mr. Fry discovered this effect that standing in the beam of a microwave uh, radar signal, he actually could hear this buzzing and hissing sound. And so this prompted him to investigate it some more. He was a biologist. He was curious what the biological phenomenon was that was going on. Oftentimes when we talk about the human body and human sensing, we say that the eyes are our only electromagnetic sensor and our ears are for sensing pressure waves. Interesting. Yeah. The fact that your ears were detecting an electromagnetic signal is really strange. So was it actually their ears, though, or is it something going on inside the brain? So this is where a lot of his experiments became interesting, is to try to determine that. Okay. And so he set forth, um, originally in this foundational study in 1961, in a journal for aerospace medicine, he published his first set of test results. And when I dug into this, it was actually really interesting read. The paper is very well written, and I have to give a lot of credit and admiration to Alan Fry for the experiments that he set up. 
So I'm curious why he published this in an aerospace medicine journal. Is that because pilots are exposed to a lot of these radar frequencies and they wanted to know something about the effect on pilots? That's my guess. Okay. If he was working on radar and it was some sort of military application, maybe that was just the population who was most exposed to those signals at the time. Okay. And as grad students, we know that oftentimes it's just you'll publish in whatever journal accepts your paper. Yeah. You're trying to get it out the door, trying to get it through really quick. And so... There's sort of two big publications that he had in the 60s, 1961, 1962. The first is Auditory System Response to Radio Frequency Energy. If you're interested at all, highly recommend it. And then a subsequent one, Human Auditory System Response to Modulated Electromagnetic Energy. Very similar titles. Uh, the main difference I found reading the papers was that the first one is more an explanation of the experimental setup. And then in the second, it's a little bit more interpretation into the physiological results. Okay, was he running these tests on humans? He was, yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Not easy to get approval to do that kind of stuff. No, it's hard to imagine like 50 years later in modern times that you could just put someone in front of a... Hey, we're going to blast you with microwaves. Uh, here's 50 bucks and, and the candy bar in your pocket might melt. So we'll give you another one on your way out. Free Snickers on the way out. I mean, this is the 60s. Like I think they were doing, what is that, Project MK Ultra? I mean, this is a maybe even a conspiracy theory. But these are declassified, I think, where they're giving people LSD and trying to program their brains and see if human brains can be programmed or something. I don't know. Different era. For a little sure bit of a different research. era on human trial kind yeah. of testing. And I'll get into this a little more too, but what was really fascinating as well is among the subjects that he tested, he tested both, they are called in the paper, normal human subjects, so with the full general range of hearing, and then deaf subjects as well with different oh, wow. types of deafness. That's smart. And so in the first paper, he did eight different experiments. I won't outline all eight of them now because that'll just be me doing a laundry list. But you can tell by looking at the experimental setups that he did, they were very intelligently lined up to try to come up with explanations and also sort of counter his hypothesis that people were hearing the microwave radiation. So he'd set up people at different distances. He would do tests where the person would be shielded, so with some sort of metal shield, and blindfolded as well. They would remove the shield, exposing them to radiation and putting it back and forth so that they couldn't see or tell when the shield was being placed, but they would have to raise their hand when they heard the sound. Yeah. And it was directly correlated really? to when the shield was placed. Wow. This sounds like a very well-designed experiment. Like this guy really, you know, whatever questionable human experimentation aside, he's doing a really good scientific study on this. Yeah. I'm curious about the size of and you might know more about this than I do because you, in your own research, you do some of this type of radio wave stuff. What is the size of like a transmitter that he's using in these experiments? I'm trying to correlate this back to potentiality of these being microwave weapons used at the U.S. embassies. Mm -hmm. Is this something someone could easily stick in a car? Or does he have in a giant room that's generating these waves? I mean, it's not unthinkable that for a couple hundred dollars, you could make something of this on your own. The transmit powers that he's using... Uh, are very reasonable by today's standards. And actually, they're pretty low. What actual power level? This is interesting. So at least by 1960 standards, they're almost 200 times lower than the power densities that were rated for standard safe exposure levels. Oh, really? Very low exposure levels. And even that amount was giving people these sounds in their heads. Yeah, so this is like microwatts, hundreds of microwatts. Oh, wow. Which is not very much. Like That's like cell phone level, probably. Yeah, your average cell phone, the radiated power is on an average of like a third to one watt. But the way that it's transmitted is different. Wow. And so he was sending pulses, these pulsed energy 
Okay. At least that's how I understand it. Because you don't get that hissing sound listening to cell phones, although that's still a matter of debate. And so just coming back to his experimental setup real quick, a couple interesting highlights, I think, are that he found it was really when you located the microwave energy on the temporal portion of your head that you would hear it. Where, so where's the temporal portion? What does that mean? So if you draw a line from your eye going back to your ear on the side of your head, the temporal region follows that line. Okay. So going slightly above and below that. And so you could actually cancel out the sound that people heard just by putting a small piece of metal there to shield it. Wow. So this is like when people wear a tinfoil hat, you know. Get like, your tinfoil hat out. That actually would work. Presumably. That's awesome. Do you think that the solution to this embassy problem is going to be giving all their employees tinfoil hats? I can only hope. That would be really cool. Like official U.S. embassy worker uniform. Tinfoil hat. Fold your own. Yeah. You get fired. Like, all right, turn in your badge, your gun, and your tinfoil hat. No, not my hat. (laughs) Your (laughs) emblem of respect and dignity in the world. So, yeah, that was one interesting thing I thought. Yeah, that's, that's super fascinating. So that means that it's probably this effect is something localized somewhere in your brain, like a very specific location in your brain. So this is still in debate, but Mr. Fry discussed three main possibilities. And this was also something that I really enjoyed reading in his paper. It's something that, at least in a lot of the papers I've read, I don't see as much, but sort of a frankness on his method and where it could be faulty. And so he was talking about three main mechanisms, one being that the tympanic membrane, so tympanic sort of sounding like a timpani drum, like the big drum they use in a symphony. Yeah. It's the membrane that's at the end of the ear canal, I believe, that actually conducts the sound waves. Okay. And so he was saying, maybe that's acting like a capacitor and filtering in these microwaves and creating some sort of effect. But he came up with an interesting experiment to prove that wrong by rotating the subjects so that the microwave would either be perpendicular to the tympanic membrane or parallel to it. Interesting. So if it was a matter of that the microwave is resonating with your tympanic membrane, it would have to be to be hitting it at the right angle to actually couple the energy into your ear. Yeah, if you were to use this sort of capacitor analogy. And he found that no matter how you rotated the subject, they would still hear it and they would always localize it to the same place relative to themselves. So they'd say like, for example... I hear the sound coming from behind me, even regardless of where the microwave source was. Wow. Okay. So it's definitely not a sound that you're picking up from the air. No. It's something that's being locally like generated in your skull. It's, I mean, we can say it's imaginary, right? Not imaginary that it's not there, but that it's something that the sound actually doesn't exist outside of your brain. Yes, absolutely. And so they gave them earplugs. They tested in different ambient sound levels, like between 70 to 90 dB um, of sound. So that'd be like driving in the freeway in your car. That's about 90 dB. Did they try doing the thing where they put a metal wall in front of their ears? They did sort of overall shielding. I'm not sure. Okay. That's a good question. They did the metal wall on your, in the temporal region, right? Basically on your temples Mm -hmm. to see if that blocked the wave. I'm curious if, I mean, that seems like another good way to test whether it's coupling into your ear or not is just block your ear only. That's a good question. I don't know the size of the shielding and if covering the temporal region, if that actually covered their ear as well. Okay. So yeah, this tympanic membrane capacitor effect, that was one possible mechanism that was ruled out. A uh, second one was that Fry suggested the microwave radiation may be directly stimulating neurons in the brain. This was supported sort of by that identifying the temporal region, as he suggested. Interesting. 
I don't know a whole lot about this, but I think neurons actually use electrical signals to communicate with each other, right? Mm-hmm. So is this just my own ignorance? Is there any sort of relation between that electricity and the electromagnetic waves? We're not totally sure. Okay. He thought this might be one way to do it. And actually, I'm just looking at my notes. When they were shielding, they actually just used a two-inch square piece of fly screen to do the shielding of the temporal region. So I think that answers the question that, no, they did not shield the ears with a piece of metal. Okay. Yeah, so they don't really know what the mechanism would be. If it was that, some there's some hypothesis that it affects the blood-brain barrier and hmm. you could affect neurons in that way when people are talking about damage from microwave radiation, but that's jury's still out on that. Okay. And so there's these two possible mechanisms. We don't really have a good explanation if it is neurological. However, there's a third mechanism, which is called the thermoelastic expansion theory. Sounds complicated. Sounds complicated. But the thought is that these microwaves are heating up tissue inside the cochlea. Cochlea, is that in your ear? Yep, inside your inner ear, one of the main things that lets you hear. Okay. So inside the cochlea, and actually tissue around as well, your skull can conduct sound. Like if you take your fist and gently knock on your skull, you'll hear it. Yeah. Well, then they have those cool like science fair things where you put your teeth on a little like metal rod maybe that's attached to the tiniest speaker that you couldn't hear it with your ears. Uh-huh. But then the vibrations go through the metal through your teeth, which vibrates your skull, and then you can hear the sound in your head. I've never seen that. Oh, that it's really cool. cool though. Yeah. It's really easy to, to build one, I think, too. We did it in like elementary school. Is may have to take a research detour in the lab and yeah. build one of those. And here I am, 20 years later, still remembering this little little thing. It's really cool. That's really cool. I'm going to have to try that maybe after this podcast. Yeah. But yeah, so there's this thermoelastic expansion theory, which I think now from other research that I was looking up, I checked out a couple different papers. There's one from Nir Yitzhak at the Sorek Nuclear Research Center in Israel, who doing simulations on absorption in the human skull and body actually found this to be a plausible explanation. And also sort of a more contemporary paper that's supporting this is one by J.A. Elder, which is called Auditory Response to Pulsed Radio Frequency Energy. This is in bioelectromagnetics. Okay, so just to clarify, when you're talking about heating the cochlea in your ear, it's actually heating in the same way that the microwave oven heats your food. Like it's the energy of the microwave is coupling into the this organ and is heating it like it's food. Yeah, and it's actually, it's only heating it up by like a millionth of a degree Celsius. Right, very small, but okay. I just want to make sure that I understand what mechanism you're talking about here. Yeah. And so actually, just to bring up a quote from the Elder paper, he says, RF-induced sounds involve the perception via bone conduction, like we were just talking about, of thermally generated sound transients. That is, audible sounds are produced by rapid thermal expansion, resulting from a calculated temperature rise of only five millionths of a degree C in tissue. Five millionths? It's nothing. It's nothing. And at the threshold level that you would start to hear this, and this is due to the absorption level from the RF pulse. And so because it would expand when it heats up just by that tiny amount, that actually changes the way you hear things? Sorry, maybe I missed that. Yes. So then these, as I understand it, it expands, it creates a pressure wave that's then transmitted to the cochlea and into your brain. I see. So then in that case, it would be the microwave is coming in, heating up your cochlea, creating a thermal expansion, and then that thermal expansion generates an actual sound so close to the source of your ear that you that you can actually really hear it well. Yep through the bone wow. and through the tissue there. So I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent right now. Do it. But this is super cool. Okay. This is insane. From, you know, so if you take this thermoelastic expansion theory and you say that using microwave radiation, 
you could induce a sound in someone's brain. Yeah. They think they're hearing a sound. It follows to ask the question that could you create intelligible sound in someone's brain? Like, can you modulate this effect to make it sound like a voice? Yep. So that you could like target someone with microwave radiation and implant a voice in their head. Essentially. Dude, uh, so I mentioned that stuff about MK Ultra earlier. I think that there's also, I don't know if it's conspiracy theories or if, again, if it's like a declassified thing, that the CIA did experiments like that as well, using this kind of microwave thing and trying to get intelligible sounds. Boy, do I have a present for you. Oh, what is it? So Air Force Research Lab in, in, I don't know if this was intentionally unclassified or what, it's on the internet now, um, in a letter from 2001, describes their research and success doing no this. No way. Success yes. meaning they transmitted a voice or what? Yep. And so... That gonna, is terrifying. I'm going to go into a little quote from this just because it's interesting. They talk about the mechanism. And they say, so everything of an acoustic nature received by the inner ear is from two possible sources, air acoustic stimulation or by conduction of acoustic signal through the bone tissue structure in the cochlea, like we were talking about. So external sound waves or bone conduction. Okay. Within the cochlea, there's the basilar membrane that converts acoustic input to nerve signals. And this is the original source of the acoustic signal from the outer ear or from the bone tissue conduction. So that's like the core little piece of physiology that's conducting the sound. Okay. Since radio frequency power heats bone tissue material of the head, by applying pulses of radio frequency power to the head, it will result in the generation of acoustic signals that will be converted to nerve impulses by the cochlea. Right. This is precisely how the perception of sound is generated by radar signals incident to the head and is well documented and has been known for many decades. So they're citing Fry's work in this. Again, this is the Air Force talking now? This is Air Force okay. talking. It follows that if radio frequency power incident to the head can create the sensation of sound, that it may be possible to establish intelligible speech communication by the direct creation of radio frequency thermally induced acoustic pressure waves in the bone tissue of the head. Oh man, it's so nefarious. And like, this is the icing on the cake. In the final sentence it says, this has been experimentally demonstrated and the fact that when the signal is processed by the teachings of the invention, they're talking about a specific invention here that they created. Okay. The signal is intelligible and has been experimentally demonstrated. Dude, that is really spooky. Super spooky. I'm assuming all the technology and the, some of the experiments are still really classified, but it's declassified that, that they did them. It's declassified, and they actually talk about it a little bit. The mechanics of it sort of make sense. The big insight that they had, this, again, subtangent of a tangent, was that when we talk about audible frequency and you use a speaker converting it from an electrical signal, it's important to maintain the amplitude and frequency of the audio content. Right. And what they found is instead of amplitude, since you're trying to generate thermal energy, you actually have to look at power instead of amplitude. There's a square relation between amplitude and power. So from the math from that, they were able to actually find that if you do the square root of the amplitude, they came up with a modulator that way. Wow. Dude, this is, that's pretty spooky. And like, isn't many, that spooky? How many grad students do you think worked on that? Like I have no someone, idea. Someone surely got their PhD Maybe they didn't even, maybe they weren't like working end to end on testing this on humans, but some electrical engineering grad student probably got their PhD working on, oh, a modulation scheme that affects power instead of amplitude of waves, you know? Yeah. That was funded by Air Force Research Lab for this. Yep. And That's I, crazy. Yeah. Isn't How do you know nuts? that your research isn't doing this, James? I don't. I don't know that. Except you could be the I bad guy. Do. I could be the bad guy. Or I could be helping people listen to their music remotely through microwaves that's so true by heating their brain tissue dude what if we got like headphones 
that didn't put out sound, but put out little microwaves that made intelligible sound. Then you'd, you'd probably get rid of all the ear damage. Yeah, that would be amazing. People wouldn't be like upset. They wouldn't hear your music just yeah. blasting from your headphones. Oh, that'd be awesome. We could be the first podcast to be broadcast microwave direct to the brain. That's true. Actually, we should probably delete this segment because we could make a good billion dollars off this idea. For anyone listening, uh, it's all patent pending. Yeah. Yes. Oh, you're just hearing things. It's just, it's just microwave interference in your brain. We never said that. We never said that. So, yeah, I got into a bit of a rabbit hole with this paper. I love it, man. This is super interesting. I found it to be fascinating. And so coming back to the paper, you know, there's still a lot of hypotheses going out there about what is it. And what's interesting in the JAMA article that was published by the doctors in March is that they didn't actually mention microwave radiation. Interesting. What did they say? They thought it was some sort of sonar device or even some sort of mass psychosis. What? That it's completely made up? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Through the stresses of the job in either Cuba or China or something like that, there was sort of this hysteria around it. So I'm curious, the people who wrote that paper, I'm kind of curious what their backgrounds are. Like maybe they have, maybe a lot of the people on that paper are psychiatrists or psychologists. And so they're taking a psychological approach to this and seeing if that explanation works. And then maybe if they had a bunch of, I don't know, um, like defense people or electrical engineering type people, maybe they'd come up with more of the explanation you're talking about and that some of these other articles are talking about with microwave technology. It's possible. So there are MDs and PhDs on it. I'm not sure in what specific PhD disciplines, but one thing might be that from the reports of the people, they said it was a localized sound. Like it was coming from one specific location, you mean? Yeah. Okay. That came up in a few of the reports, as I understood. Did their locations match each other's? Well, this was just sort of relative. They felt like the sound or the energy was coming from one specific direction. Like if you're in your room, like it was coming from the window or something like that. So two people in the same office facing different directions would both say, it sounds like it's coming from behind me. Yes. Not, yeah. it sounds like it's coming from the street outside this window. I believe so. Wow. But that's somewhat in conflict with Fry's research, which showed that even if you rotate the subject in a constant microwave radiation field, they would always attribute it to becoming from, for example, behind them. Oh, I thought that is consistent then. Uh, I guess I, I misunderstood your question. Okay. Yeah. So to re-clarify, the people in the embassies are all saying, it sounds like it's coming out of this particular window or something. Not saying, it sounds like it's coming from behind me. Yeah, they, they attribute it to coming from a specific physical location. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Not just like relative to themselves, it's behind. Okay. Yeah. But again, that's just sort of roughly what I gleaned. And I think there was a little bit of pressing coming from the the congressional committee. So maybe there'll be a new report coming out. It's fascinating in any case. Absolutely. I think there are still investigations underway by the FBI. So they probably haven't really fully chimed in until they're done with their own internal investigation. Man, this is crazy. So when do you think it would be that they could eventually pin down the cause of this? You know, maybe a couple months or it's hard to say given the politics of the matter and the weight that's behind it, it may be a long time before we fully hear about it. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if they knew more about it because there's there's been other research that I found just digging into this about looking into microwave weapons. The U.S. military has looked into microwave weapons as ways of like dispersing crowds or fighting pirates off the coast of Africa. So I think it seems like it wouldn't be that hard to eventually get to the bottom of this. Can't you just, couldn't they just put up some sort of sensors in these offices, like very sensitive microphones and 
uh, very sensitive antenna that would pick up something if it was in the microwave frequency. It seems like you could potentially measure whatever it is that's coming into the office and causing this. Yeah, that's a great question, how you could actually go about detecting it. And maybe that's what they're working on now. Potentially, yeah. So, and that could eventually lead to an answer to this. Yeah. You imagine, like, maybe if they have a very directed source, if you outfitted your embassy workers with, like, a small sensor sort of close to their head, like something you could wear as, like, mm, a lapel yeah. pin, that might be an idea. Yeah. But it'll be really interesting to see and sort of see how this unfolds, both on a technological scale, but also for a political scale, given, you know, our sort of tenuous relationships with Cuba, even though that's opening up, and then our obviously very important relationships with China. Yeah. And, you know, obviously that is beyond the scope of this. I'm first very fascinated to find out what is the source of this. Mm -hmm. And then second, I think once they answer that question, it'll be very, very fascinating to find out who is the source of this. Absolutely. You know, are these just, if it is a weapon, are these just random uh, people who really don't like the U.S. embassy who are doing this? Or is this maybe like a government operation? Yeah. Who knows? Who's behind it? Yeah. That would be a really, really interesting thing to find out. And so I think that's that's all I got. I could talk about this for days. I find it so fascinating. Yeah. If we're going to post the papers for this, though. So definitely check them out if you're looking for a good read. Yeah. So coming back to the news articles that you first read about this, that sort of turned you on to this issue, were there any that you felt like were maybe not really giving the full picture here? Or were there some that you thought like really nailed it down to a T, like here's boiled it down and said, here's the possibilities, here's the issues at hand, here's where this is headed. Really, I think the only headline that was directly related to this event that I thought was both accurate and spot on was one from an IEEE magazine, IEEE being the Institute of Electrical and Electronics Engineers, sort yeah. of the global organization for um, everything electrical. Yeah, and they host conferences and they have journals. And Yeah, exactly. And so one author in one of their magazines said, strange reports of weaponized sound in Cuba. And, you know, not super exciting, but given the mystery and the unknowns, it's accurate. I think that you, you get a default win by not trying to make any claims in your headline. Yeah. Because no one knows. So, And just to reiterate, some of the other claims from the headlines were like, microwave weapons, cause of sonic attack, brain injuries in Cuba from the Business Insider, which actually when you even click on the link, then the actual news headline is different but um really yeah saying it's something like microwave is a possible cause yeah so i wonder that's clickbaity i wonder sometimes if that's intentional that they that they make the the blue link headline different and that's something they can actually do on their end or if it's something where they first publish it with that headline and then they get backlash about saying whoa 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 this is misleading and so then they change the headline on the story but that change doesn't get reflected because i've noticed that a couple times too yeah doing research for this podcast that I'll look at the headline and I'll say, you know, that's super misleading. And then I'll go to the story or I'll see whatever's at the top of the web browser page and I'll say, oh, wait a second. They, they got it more right here, but they're I'd, conflicting, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I wonder if they do change that. That was, that, it was at least the case for this Business Insider article. Okay. And then, like I mentioned, the Washington Post one, scientists and doctors zap theory that microwave weapon injured Cuba diplomats. Not really the case. Yeah. But it's an interesting headline. So I really hope that this is something that as the theories develop, that the news will continue to be responsible about reporting, because this is the kind of thing that is really easy to fearmonger about, because it has so many political implications. The news in this case, if it's international headlines, could actually have an effect on real international relations. So I hope that they can focus a little more on like the scientific causes here and not speculate too much as to motives until we figure out if it really even is a weapon. Absolutely. I 100% agree with you on that one. 
because you read something like scientists say neuroweapons behind Cuba attacks. And if you're only just scrolling through the headlines and not really talking about the science of what these, what's going on here or the political intricacies, you could come away with some very wrong or at least misinformed ideas of what's happening. Yeah, and you're projecting a big sense of authority by saying scientists say that these are weapons. Mm-hmm. It's not like your politician who maybe you're going to trust half the time saying, oh, these are weapons and you can people might be able to write that off. You say scientists and that really ascribes a big amount of authority to it. Yeah, and even just misusing the word microwave, microwave has a very specific sense when you're talking about electromagnetic radiation, but you think of a microwave oven and a weapon, and it's like that conjures nothing but bad images. That conjures like you would remember a scene in a horror movie Yeah, where something like that might happen. Popping and bubbling. Oh, oh. don't even. Yep. I think it's time to wrap up. I'm going to (laughs) get sick. (laughs) Yeah, well... Thanks so much for listening. If you have questions about the show, we weren't able to dive into anything, but we'd love to answer any other thoughts that you have. So please subscribe to our show. Hit us up on our website, paperboyspodcast.com. Yeah, we also have a Twitter account where you can hit us up. I can guarantee we'll be very uh, responsive to you there. We're kind of addicted to Twitter right now. So the Twitter handle is... stop. (laughs) Yeah. Twitter handle is at paperboyspod. And we also have an email account, paperboyspod at gmail.com. Uh, send us send us your feedback on the show. And like James said, um, if you've got questions about this research or you think maybe we didn't bring up something in the appropriate way, or if you have ideas for a future topic, like you find a headline and you say, whoa, 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 what's this all about? Put the paper boys on the case. Send us an email. We'll, we'll take a look. We'd love to investigate. For sure. And join us next week for another exciting episode of Paper Boys. Thanks for listening.